Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Tamara and Martinis. I'm Adam, here's Danielle. Hello. I just stuttered that a little bit. Did that come across? <laughs> that <laughs> was just, weird. You sound really happy. I do? Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, it's good. Because I cleaned the basement today, you so did. I'm very happy. You know what? I enjoyed myself. I didn't like kind of, I had my AirPods on. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast, cleaning, cleaning out all the crap in the basement. Yeah, I like that and stuff. I was scrubbing uh, the toilets because <laughs> we have two boys who are... 12 and 9 and still their aim is just I just don't know when it gets better yeah but the whole the bathrooms smelled like fraternity house bathrooms <laughs> we're going to be doing a, a series of around four episodes I'm not sure yet if it's gonna be four or five episodes definitely four over the next few months and we're really delving into the journey of trying to have kids everything from infertility to conceiving Pregnancy complications are just the toll pregnancy takes on so many that isn't really acknowledged. And then we go into pregnancy loss, the anxiousness, the emotional and physical effects that surround all of it. Just as individuals between partners with all of our other relationships, there's, you know, reproductive mental health is a term that I do not think I had ever heard of when I started trying to have kids. No, we talked about that in the episode. Yeah, also. I just, I don't, and if it was a term, my doctors never mentioned it to me. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, there was still such a stigma and shame around all the mental health stuff, especially that that I just experienced uh, like, you know, a, a gazillion times uh, when I was pregnant and trying to get pregnant and after our, you know, pregnancy loss. So I'm just so grateful that this is becoming a topic that is really we're trying to rid the shame and the stigma around it. And my hope is that all partners, regardless of gender, will listen to these episodes and talk about them. Whether or not this is something you're currently going through, it's just, it's interesting because at one point during this episode, you said that Dr. Lori who is uh, the expert we have on the episode, should do like couple sessions for partners who are about to start the process of expanding their family. And my first reaction was, no, 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 don't, that's not a good idea. Don't do that because, you know, you don't want to add to the anxiousness of, of starting to expand your family. Like it's already an anxiety inducing and exciting time. But, but then when I thought about it, I was like, no, that is a really good idea because we went into it so blindly. Yeah. Um, Well, like you said, we didn't even know if this existed when we were trying to have kids. And it's such a thing when you're um, about to be married, you know, some people go for therapy and so they can learn about stuff and feelings and things before <laughs> they get married. Uh-huh. But so I thought my million dollar idea is a good one. That- no, when I first heard it, it, it is a good idea. When I first heard it, I was like, you're just going to scare people. But you know what? These are conversations that we really do need to have. And I think it would have saved us a lot of heartache um, and a lot of fighting and, you know, emotional devastation and stuff how do we had those topics so um so you know it's not just a time that's magical and there is mad there are magical aspects of trying to start a family but you know there are other things that can come up so we're concentrating on you know how do we find and ask for support how do we support those around us our partners our sisters our friends you know everyone so Thank you to all of you for listening, and I hope you'll share these episodes with people who might be going through it or who just, you know, maybe want to feel less alone or are starting 
to try to expand their family. Um, and I was so happy that Dr. Lori said she would do this episode with us on pregnancy loss. She specializes in women's mental health and reproductive health. And Dr. Lori helps people overcome the emotional challenges that come with infertility, including pregnancy loss and emotional trauma. She also helps couples who have become divided by their fertility journey, strengthen their connection. Dr. Lori is a clinical fellow of the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy and has served on its state and national boards. She is also a member of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine's Mental Health Professional Group. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that we are starting this series. I also hope that you'll listen to the sponsors, to the ads, because I think I spent as much time researching just the right sponsors that I wanted to have, um, because I really want people to have as much support as possible. So I think you'll find some really awesome resources, um, some apps, some um, ideas to help with grief and anxiety. So please listen to those also. And um, thanks for listening. Hi, Dr. Lori. It's so good to have you here. Hi, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. I feel like it's a little bit of a heavy subject for a Friday night. It is a Friday night, but um, but it is night. Adam and I have our we have our wine, and I feel like it's a discussion that needs to happen. And I was just saying to yeah. you that we've had this podcast like two and a half years, and it's interesting because there are some topics that we've gone into so heavily and some that sometimes I think about and I'm like we have barely even talked about that yet and this is one of them I think I felt like in order to get really get into the thick of it I needed someone with some knowledge to come on first because it's such a sensitive topic Um, it's not a topic that I have a whole lot of scientific understanding of Um, Mm -hmm. I've experienced a lot with it but I've never you know the research I just don't know the science behind all of it. So I'm so happy you're here. I know Adam's so happy you're here, right? Of course I'm so happy. (laughs) Why would I not be so happy? I'm happy to talk to you all about it and, um, you know, share whatever I can. So thank you for, for having me. It's timely because we've been talking a lot about the mental load, especially with the pandemic. And women have really bared the brunt of the pandemic, the most, you know, uh, jobs lost and just have had to end up taking on the brunt of a lot of stuff with family life and home life. And it's really uh, like shine a light on how much women do and how much women have to bear. We've done a bunch of episodes. We recently did an episode, the two of us talking about this and sort of like hashing it out. Um, And, and one thing I always think about that I talked about in the last episode that Adam and I did together talking about this is like what, what he doesn't get what I think a lot of times male partners don't get is that as women we have this whole layer of physical biological stuff that we're expected to just endure and take and live our lives regularly when really there's all this invisible load of infertility uh you know uh any kind of pregnancy loss any type of issues with endometriosis or hysterectomies or like all of these things that that Mm -hmm. go unseen i do have to say i i want to jump in don't be too scared about what i'm gonna say daniel i'm drinking my wine i agree i i completely agree the more i think about it i do agree with what you just said for the most part as long as there's no issues with the male partner we just Mm kind of show up do our thing and we're like okay we're done and like the rest of your life, it's mm-hmm. you, <laughs> you know, it's your, right. your body and what you're going through. You get pregnant, you, you know, it's kind of, you know, just, it's just, you know, all fun and games for us. And then it's like, okay, here you go. Right. And you're, you're just really picking, you know, sharing, I think a very interesting kind of dynamic because the, right. The, the guys just kind of get to, to show up, so to speak, but the women, women are going through the physiological changes, you know, the hormonal changes and, you know, just changes from one extreme to the other. And, and so it, it really takes a, a toll in terms of what the experiences are like going through, just even trying to get pregnant, if there are issues or even, you know, like what happens, you know, if sadly there's, you know, an issue with the pregnancy and then you're dealing with a loss, you know, those, it really makes a difference in terms of how you relate to, to the experience, depending on, you know, side you're on yeah and how you relate to your partner too I think yeah I know you talk a lot about that um 
on your Instagram account and on your website and everything. And it is true because as much as you say guys just show up and also a lot of times when there are complications, guys also end up bearing a lot of the, it's, it's stressful for well, the guys. Absolutely. Also. Listen, we, we go through emotionally what you're going through. If you know, you know, God forbid there's, you know, some kind of problem with a pregnancy or you know, whatever the case may be, right. we're there with you. We're feeling it too, but it's not happening yeah. to us. Right. right. There's a difference. Right. Yeah. There is a difference. And yet I think it's important to highlight too, just like when you mentioned the differences between the partners and how you relate to each other. Um, sometimes when you're in it, it, you know, kind of appreciating that difference can be hard. Um, and, you know, and I know that for some women, it can be hard because it is happening to them. And, you know, and it feels like, you know, their partners are a little bit distant, even though they are going through it. But, you know, hearing you talk about that, Adam, yeah, you are having an emotional experience. It just might look a little bit different. Um, and we have to be kind of mindful of that and create space for that, too. Mm -hmm. And there is right now more out there. When I had my miscarriage, it was like uh, well, when I first started trying to get pregnant it was like 16 years ago and there was mm -hmm. no information anywhere about anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you heard bits and pieces of stuff, but nobody spoke about miscarriage. Nobody spoke about pregnancy loss or issues in pregnancy. I, I just all I knew was that my mom had had three kids. We were all healthy. Like it was great. And, and that was really my experience with it. I mean, I had known here and there about people who had miscarriage. I mean, the one nice thing now is that there is, it's so much more open and discussed. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I do think that there's still this real stigma around pregnancy loss. And mm -hmm. I know that I waited three months. I remember the three months to the day with my first pregnancy. I waited three months to the day to tell people because that's what you did. Mm -hmm. That's what you were supposed right. to do. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's still a thing or not, but... Um, but there is a lot of stigma still about pregnancy loss. You're right. And even though it's, it's, it's actually more common than we think there is the stigma. And, you know, when you talk about the three month rule, I feel like that kind of came from the medical community, because when you talk to most MDs, they'll talk, when they talk with you about the risks with your pregnancy, they'll say that, you know, the first trimester is usually the most delicate. And so um, if there is going to be, you know, something going on with the pregnancy, they'll most likely be able to catch it in that first trimester. And so I feel like that's where it started, um, where it is this 12 week kind of mark because they do say like after this once you hit the second trimester the risk of miscarriage drops dramatically um and and so i think what ended up happening is that people started adopting that rule you know because we listen to our medical doctors i mean of course they're the experts in in all of this stuff and and so we kind of followed that socially but what we're finding over time is that it created this culture of silence. And so you had people going through a very delicate um, kind of journey, very fearful um, of what's happening. And you know, like first trimester symptoms, sometimes, you know, just even first trimester symptoms can actually mimic symptoms of miscarriage, which can, which can be scary. But, you know, when you don't have a place to talk about it and you're worried about something happening with your pregnancy, it creates this sense of isolation and distance. So you don't really have that community of support. And so so I think that's what contributed to the stigma and, and why that's still been circulating. Um, I think now what I actually recommend with clients is, you know, is tell people when you're ready. Um, tell people that you feel supported, that you know you'll feel supported by. Um, I know some people want to share once they get the pregnancy, you know, the positive pregnancy tests. But, you know, because I also work with people who've experienced, you know, repeated loss, unfortunately, and not just one, um, I always say, make sure that you are telling people that you know will be there for you, you know, should something happen, you'll still have that same level of support, so that you're not going through, you know, the most difficult and traumatic time of your life alone. Yeah, I remember with with my first child, like I said, I with Mia, I, I waited. Mm -hmm. um, and then with my second pregnancy, it ended in miscarriage. And I remember when it ended in miscarriage, I wound up telling everybody close to me anyway right. that I had miscarried because I wanted people to know I wanted people to know why maybe I wasn't you know like my regular funny self I wanted people to know why I was canceling plans I, and then after that when I got pregnant the third time I remember I told everybody kind of right away because I was sort of like well mm -hmm. I kind of want them there if I lose the baby yeah. I mean there were probably people mm -hmm. I didn't but right. it was a, a big, a drastic change between, I think, with the first pregnancy, I did it because that was 
the quote unquote, like you said, the rule. And mm-hmm. that's what you were told. And then I was sort of like, that kind of doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So, I'm yeah. So, yeah, I'm so glad that you intuitively decided, you know what, that doesn't work for me. And and so it's really up to the person to decide what's going to work for them. And and so I think it's important to be mindful of who, who gives you support or who provides you support in a way that's meaningful to you. Because like you said, if you know, and I'm sorry, so sorry that you had to experience a loss. I think anybody going through that, it's, you know, it's just really trying. And, and yet you were able to intuitively figure out in that moment, like, you know what, I need people around me. I need people to understand. And, and I'm sure it was a very different experience kind of going through that with people who had your back and who understood and who could, you know, just extend that grace and compassion. Um, and, and when you don't tell people, it's like you're, you're, you're kind of cutting yourself off from that. And I know that there's some very real reasons why people decide to make that decision, but it's, that's why I say it's, it's, it's a personal one. And, but, you know, you don't have to follow the 12 week rule that, um, that I think some people, you know, kind of, you know, kind of put out there because it, it really doesn't apply and it doesn't necessarily help people feel better. Mm-hmm. I, I had a question for you. Yeah. Um, when Danielle lost her pregnancy with her, you know, with her second pregnancy, I didn't know how to react, how to respond, how to feel like Mm I, I didn't, I didn't feel a loss. I, I think a hundred percent of my emotion was, I'm so sorry for you. Are you okay? You know, what can I, you know, what do you need from me for you? Like, it was all about Danielle. It was all about, like, I didn't feel a loss. I didn't feel (laughs) sad in the way that I didn't lose a baby. Like, I just wanted to make sure Danielle was okay and feeling okay. I'm not sure if I would handle it the same way today. Again, this was a long time ago. I don't know if I would react (laughs) in the same way. But just coming from the husband, what's, is there a right way to respond to, or are we just all different and we all handle things differently? Or what does a woman need from her husband? Or just partner. Or a partner or, you know, whomever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're bringing up a good point too. I mean, you know, Danielle probably had a very different experience with the pregnancy loss than, than you did. It sounds like there might've been a little bit more kind of attachment or, or bonding. And, you know, and I think that, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions too, especially for, for guys going through this, so the partners is that, um, that you should feel one way or another. And, and in some ways, you know, I, I do have people, you know, partners share, you know, the fact that it wasn't as, um, as intense for them as it was for their partners. And, and so I just kind of normalize that because it doesn't mean you care any less um, about your partner. It doesn't mean you care any less about the, the pregnancy either. It just means that just might've been a different experience in terms of how you bond. And, and I think one of the things that research has shown us is that, you know, sometimes you know, women or those of us who carry the babies experience a sense of bonding a little bit sooner or, you know, and, and so, for people who don't carry the baby, like the guys, they, they might not experience it as much. So that could have had some bearing on your, your your feelings, but you know, at the same time, it's like that was your experience, and so I don't see there's any reason reason to pathologize that. Mm-hmm. It, it it was um, you were concerned. It was it happened, and you were concerned about what happened with Danielle, and you tended to her as I think a ten, you know a very attentive partner would would do. Um, but there's no need to really judge, you know, the you know your experience because yes, everybody handles loss very differently, and I think that's that's another uh, you know kind of I think reality that we need to to really appreciate. When we started our journey to try to get pregnant, I had very little resources available to me, except for the people around me who honestly didn't really have the same experience with getting pregnant and pregnancy and pregnancy loss that I had had. And I wish that there had been more information available at my fingertips. And one of my favorite parts of podcasting is doing the research for our episodes and our interviews, especially an episode like this about pregnancy loss, because it really did have a big impact on me and I want it to impact others differently. And I'm so excited to share with you guys a company called Ovia. Ovia is a digital health company that uses mobile technology to help women and families live healthier lives. Ovia offers free pregnancy, fertility, and parenting apps and a platform that have helped millions of women and families on their fertility, pregnancy, and parenting journeys. Ovia's mobile apps use data-driven science to provide their community with health insights, resources, and the confidence you need to achieve your personal health and parenting goals. 
people at every stage of the journey from preconception through pregnancy and parenthood. They believe that the support and expert care should be available to every single person experiencing any of these oftentimes uncertain stages of life. And Ovia is there at any moment of the day to answer any questions and to help you feel safer and more secure. I cannot tell you how much I would have loved Ovia when I was getting ready to get pregnant and when I was pregnant and a new parent. Download Ovia Fertility, Ovia Pregnancy, or Ovia Parenting at info.oviahealth.com slash marriage. And we'll put that in the episode details too. So you could just click the link, but it's info.oviahealth, O-V-I-A health.com slash marriage, or head to the app store and search for Ovia Health. It's a no brainer and it's free. We can all use all the support we can get. And I'm so in love with this company and their apps and their platform. Info.oviahealth.com slash marriage. Throughout my life, journaling has been such a source of calm and focus for me and almost a form of therapy. I have tons of journals from when I was going through a lot of my really hard battles with OCD and after my miscarriage, I journaled a ton. It was really important to me that I find a journaling sponsor for these episodes that would really help people deal with the hard and confusing times in our lives. I knew Silk and Sonder was exactly the company I wanted to be part of these episodes. Journaling has been proven to boost your mood, reduce stress, and even improve immune function. At Silk and Sonder, their analog-first, community-driven approach to wellness is rooted in principles of positive psychology. Each month, you get a fresh start at realigning and achieving your goals with a brand new planner full of guided prompts, healthy recipes, coloring pages, inspiring quotes, and more. They know that for so many people, putting pen to paper can be intimidating, which is why they've taken the guesswork out of journaling by providing you with the tools to start afresh and go deeper into your practice every month. You also get the added benefit of a close-knit community of users. They've also added an immersive audio onboarding experience called Daily Rituals with Silk and Sonder, where for 21 days, they'll help you build the practice of journaling. At its core, Silk and Sonder is a space for mindfulness, journaling, planning, tracking, and creative expression all in one. Silk and Sonder also makes an incredible gift for someone who you know who's going through a hard time or even just a time of change, whether it's loss, starting a new venture, or dealing with any uncertain time in life. There are various subscription tiers starting at $19.95 a month so you can find what best works for you. Visit silkandsonder.com to get started and enter promo code MARRIAGE to get 20% off any subscription. That's Silk and Sonder, S-I-L-K and Sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R.com and enter promo code MARRIAGE to get 20% off any subscription today. One of the first things that I did was uh, mm-hmm. write to research because I knew nothing mm-hmm. about miscarriage. I, I barely right. knew anything about pregnancy. Or, you know, <laughs> you know we, yeah. we were just such young, immature kids anyway ourselves. But uh, <laughs> so the first thing I did was go online and research this whole thing and come back to Danielle with, you know, look, this is a very common experience. Almost, you know, mm-hmm. X percent, you know, X percent of women mm-hmm. have miscarriage. Like, and I was trying to mm-hmm. make it a everything's okay because this is normal. Like, don't worry. You know, mm-hmm. I was trying mm-hmm. to come from, come from it from this angle. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it like looking back? Is that the right, is that what she wants to hear? You know what I mean? Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. This is where I think kind of paying attention to the cues that your partner will give up right. um, in that moment. You, you know, you, basically one in four pregnancies, you know, will, will end in a loss. And so when we think about it from one perspective, that's, that's really common. That's like 25% of pregnancies. And so when we think, when I think about it from a, you know, from a research standpoint, I'm like, wow, that that's a lot. It makes sense to me as a person and as someone who's gone through pregnancy loss as well, it's like, oh, it still hurts. So I think you can have both experiences and depending on you know, where you're at, um, you know, either reaction is okay. Um, but, you know, for, for most people hearing the fact that hearing numbers doesn't necessarily help when they're in the midst of this really intense emotional experience, they just want to hear, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm here for you. Let's just listen and, you know, and, and not really try to find a silver lining in everything. Um, you know, just because, 
it's still a loss of a baby, the loss of a pregnancy that, you know, it, it just, that, that is a very big deal for the person, you know, who's, who's, who's happening to. So, um, so I think there's space for the numbers and I think it really depends on where the person is in the moment in terms of being able to hear that and take it in. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, from a guy's point of view, like we just want to fix things, whether yeah. it be with numbers or research or what, like, we just want to say, yeah. Hey, listen, this happens. Let's move mm-hmm. on. Let's, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, so I'm trying to come yeah. from it from my point of view is maybe some guys feel the same way. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think I appreciate where that desire to fix is coming from. It's coming from a place of caring. Um, Sometimes, you know, fixing really needs to look like listening instead, just because, you know, that part that emotional experience can't be fixed just yet. You have to kind of go through a certain kind of process. But I always understand, like, you know, when it, you know, where the guys are coming from, because it's just, it makes it makes sense. Okay, this is common. This happens a lot. We can try again. There are lots of other realities that go into, you know, trying to have another child or, you know, to create another pregnancy. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it can be a little dicey when you're, when you're, when your partner's in the throes of, of grief and having a different grieving experience, logic just might not always be the best fit. So this is where I think knowing your partner and what helps your partner when she's feeling down or, um, you know, can, can really help um, kind of smooth things over differently. Yeah, and I think just acknowledging the fact that, oh my God, they have now this added layer of, again, mental load of emotional, um, you know, stress and draining and, and on top of everything else and on top of life and work and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just acknowledge the fact that right now they have this whole other layer that maybe I can't see. It's not tangible, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And to exactly. constantly remind ourselves of, of that, you know, for our partners and the people around us. Um, I remember after my miscarriage, and I know that a lot of my friends and stuff who I've spoken to have gone through the same thing. For, for weeks after, I wondered what I had done. And I knew mm-hmm. deep down I hadn't done anything. I knew mm-hmm. it was, you know, um, like medical. And, and I tried to tell myself that, okay, well, this was just the way of nature's way of taking care of itself. I try to tell myself mm-hmm. all those things, but you know, you mm-hmm. still think about, Oh my God, I used this new, you know, soap in the shower. I mean, crazy stuff. Right. I had my laptop mm-hmm. on my stomach and I'm really nervous. Right. A- anything that you tell yourself, I mean, what, what do you say to people who, who sort of put the blame on themselves? I, I try to remind them that number one, I think it's normal to kind of go there, but I, and I think that that com- part of that comes from the fact that we haven't talked about the, the just how common losses or the reasons why people have miscarriages. And so, um, you know, and so I think really trying to understand, you know, our, and this is where I think kind of understanding some of the numbers can be helpful too, and, and breaking out the, the research and challenging some of those really negative thoughts that we tend to internalize, like you said, like, oh my gosh, I had my phone or my computer next to my belly and, or I exercised too hard or, you know, or, or what have you. And, and that's not really, and that's not really true. The data is very clear about miscarriages are usually because there's some kind of, you know, just chromosomal issue that's happening. And, and that's something that we just don't have control over in terms of how those chromosomes link up. And, and so that might be, you know, after I think a little bit of validation and, and, uh, you know, I just kind of help my clients kind of look at that or think about, you know, this is, you know, is nature really under your control, you know? Um, and, you know, did you have control over how that really linked up? And it's like, no, you, you don't. Um, you did the best that you could with what you knew at the time. And, you know, and you've done everything to kind of create an environment for, for this pregnancy to be successful. And so it's like kind of understanding, you know, what you did, what your role has been, and also what's out of your control at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the feeling of of that like heaviness of on top of everything else blaming yourself. It was terrible. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what other misconceptions or misinformation do we sort of generally get about um, pregnancy loss? Because I know that there's you know there's all kinds of stuff about eating the wrong thing, and I mean it can make you insane. 
You really can. I think the biggest misconception is that miscarriages are, are, are rare or and that they're preventable um, or that because you have one that you're likely to have another, um, you know, and that somehow, you know, you're, you're, you're like exercising it can be, um, can, can contribute to, 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 to pregnancy loss um, or that you, you, you did something wrong um, or that you didn't eat organic. <laughs> um, you know, I think they're just some very general, you know, there's just a lot of mis information out there about what causes them and versus what doesn't. And so when that happens too, that's one of the reasons why I also encourage clients to um, understand the circumstances, you know, around their loss. Um, and if there's any kind of testing that happens or because again, that gives us more information for them to understand this was science, you know, this wasn't anything that you did. This was just I hate to say it, it's a fluke because sometimes that, that word can be, I think, kind of a little bit triggering. Um, it's just, it, it just kind of happens. And yes, it's common and yes, it's still hurtful. And, you know, how can we hold both of those so that you don't continue to blame yourself? When do you know when it's time to get, you know, the, these tests done that tell you what's going mm -hmm. on? Like how many, I mean, is there a certain number of mm -hmm. pregnancy losses that you go through? Is there some magic number or is there something that happens that how do you know when when it's time well for some if you know the usually with the, um there's there's some people who are able to have testing right after the first pregnancy loss because they might have to go in for you know a dnc um and at that point they can definitely do some testing to see and kind of verify that most likely it was a chromosomal issue um usually we start to see you know or really encourage some kind of testing after there are a couple of pregnancy losses um and you know and also to see like it depends on if it's happening in the first trimester versus the second trimester because i think some physicians might tell you that, you know, losses, to, you know, in either trimester might mean a different, you know, different set of circumstances. So I think it's important to kind of get some follow-up from your medical doctor too about, um, you know, how to make that, how to, how to make sure you get testing and to kind of understand the information that they can gather from that. Mm -hmm. All right. The biggest question, I know we talked about it a little mm -hmm. bit with, uh, with partners, but the biggest mm -hmm. question, my my, our community, Marriage and Martinis, when I asked them, what do you want to know? I mean, there were hundreds of people said, I want to know what the best ways are that I can support someone I love who's going through pregnancy loss. What do I say? What do I not say? What are the things that the cliches that people usually say that nobody wants to hear? And how do we best do it? Because we all know somebody who's gone through it or we know somebody who's trying and having trouble. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know what to say, what not to say. Absolutely. So I think some of the things that you can say that are really helpful, first of all, I'm here for you. I love you. I support you. I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, another, I think, thing that someone can do, um, because let's face it, when you when you have a loved one that's going through a pregnancy loss, you you want to take care of them. You want you want to make them feel better. Um, what you could also do is just say like, hey, let me cook you some food. I'm going to bring you over, you know, a plate or you know, cook for you too. And what day works best for you, kind of thing. Um, and you know, so I think just really trying to figure out things that could be helpful for, for, for the, you know, the loved one or, you know, the, the couple, um, helping them organize things at home to, to kind of clean or, you know, just daily tasks that might be really hard, especially in, in, in if, they're, if they're also, you know, kind of trying to parent a younger one um, after loss, you know, hey, let's, you know, let me take, you know, let me take little, your little one off your hands for a few hours while you all just kind of do whatever it is that you need to do. So I think there's some really tangible things that you can say and do to help someone who's going through a pregnancy loss. Um, what I would just, you know, really help, you know, encourage people, you know, not to, or to you know, things to avoid saying is just all the cliches and platitudes, like, you know, anything that starts with at least, <laughs> like, at least this happened early, or, you know, at least, you know, you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, you know, I know God has a plan. That's a big one in my community. And, um, or at least you have a healthy child at home. At least you can know you can get pregnant. Um, you know, and, and so those are statements that I think, you know, can be very hurtful and really minimizing the fact that, okay, it doesn't really make you feel better. Um, and, you know, it just, it makes you sometimes just feel even worse. And, you know, especially if you have, you hear, at least you have a healthy child at home. It's like, well, one baby doesn't replace another. And, and, and so the loss of that, that baby is still very, um, 
it's still very powerful and it's, you know, and just, and having your other child, you can still be thankful for having your other child, but you're still going to miss, you know, the one that you lost. So one does not make up for the other. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you say at least so-and-so <laughs> yeah. at the end of that, you could always say, yeah, but I just had a miscarriage and yes, exactly. But you know, at exactly. least this happened, but I just had a miscarriage and I feel like shit or I feel disgusted like, right. or whatever. I just feel awful. You know, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. My, my exactly. miscarriage now was 13, almost third, no, almost 14 years ago, 14 years ago mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. April 30th and every April 30th all day, I think about mm-hmm. it. And yes. it was, you know, it was, it's so interesting because it's not something I talk about a lot. It's not something Adam mm-hmm. and I talk about a lot. It's not something I think that really holds me back in life or anything. Um, but it is something that is definitely, especially around the end of April, I do, I, I start to feel this sadness and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and this remembering, and I feel like I have to sort of honor what mm-hmm. happened and that loss yeah, um, the way yeah. I the way I always think back on it is like, oh my god, I don't I don't want to say like, thankfully we had a miscarriage because if we didn't we wouldn't have Ian our middle son, and like mm-hmm. I can't imagine mm-hmm. our life without him, and if mm-hmm. if she did not have the miscarriage we would not have him, so mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. just like a, I know, a I do think that way too. Also, to as think. much as I do I do sometimes think to myself that that same exact thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that we wouldn't have Ian. Yeah, that. Like you know. that that's why it happened because we were supposed to have Ian. Like that's the way mm-hmm. I think. You know, it's just Yeah. And I think a lot of couples do too. And it's a, it's, I feel like it's a way that we try to find some kind of healing and to make some sense, some sense out of something that is hard to make sense out of. I mean, you know, again, like I, I think I said earlier, I can appreciate the beauty of nature and like what science happens. And I think like what happens with our bodies, the fact that we're able to create life <laughs> um, is an amazing thing. And so from a scientific perspective, I can see things one way, but the human experience is just is something different. And so it, it doesn't always, it doesn't always compute. And so I think we still find ways to try to make sense out of things that are really hard that, that we might know on one level, but that still that might not make sense on a deeper level. And, you know, and, and Danielle, one of the things that you just shared too, that I thought was really powerful is just that, you know, how much loss kind of stays with us over time, you know, and the fact that you're, you still remember, you know, this, this very important date, 13, 14 years later. And so it sounds like the ritual that you have around that is, you know, just being very reflective, um, you know, kind of thinking about that and, um, and, and holding space for, for whatever kind of comes up related to that. And, and that's, that's the thing. It loss stays with you. It, it stays yeah. with you. It shifts over time, but there's still elements of that that, that can continue to, to stay with you. Yeah, I also think that at the time I sort of I I don't know if I mourned it properly at the time, what was mm-hmm. going on. I because mm-hmm. again, number one, I don't think there was a lot of support and community out there about that. A lot of people in my family hadn't gone through it. Um, maybe, you know, one or two had. And and I just feel like at the time, had I kind of sat with my feelings more and not rushed, mm-hmm. I think it was in such a rush, okay, we can try again soon. And um, I, I, you know, I don't want to be a burden on everybody. And it was still mm-hmm. the first trimester. So it wasn't something that really deserves the kind of mourning and, and attention. And like, I think I told myself all these things to, to sort of pick up the pace of, all right, let's move on. But mm-hmm. maybe I wasn't ready to ma- move on. And and I think looking back, maybe that's also one of the reasons why it stayed with me so much that I didn't really think I deserved the time to sit and really understand those feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, I think by the yeah. end of the day, like people were having a different conversation in the morning. I had a miscarriage and by nighttime we were talking about what was on TV. I mm-hmm. wasn't ready to talk about what was on TV. Right. And you just brought up something too, that I think is, that's very powerful, that it impacts how we grieve. And that is somehow it's like the length of pregnancy determines the amount of permission that we have to grieve uh, about the the loss. And, you know, and I know that women who've had chemical pregnancies and for your, you know, your listeners who might not be familiar with what a chemical pregnancy is, it's basically you're, you're getting a pregnancy, a positive pregnancy test, um, you know, probably maybe 
maybe one or two days after your, you know, your period. And, um, but then quickly, you know, you're, you get a negative one. So the, the pregnancy literally um, is, is a very short pregnancy and it, it just, it's one that won't make it to, to you know, there's, there won't be an ultrasound. So um, we won't see that there's a, a baby at, at ultrasound. So it's a very short one. And so, and even those pregnancies, we, the data shows that they register, you know, very heavily for women. So it's, I think we know now, and that one of the reasons why we're talking so much more about miscarriage is that we understand that, you know, the bond can happen right when you get that first pregnancy test or, you know, when you're, you know, even before, because you're so hopeful and, you know, and if this has been a long road for some people who've been trying for months or years, and there's so much investment in that positive pregnancy test, yes, it happens. And then, you know, if it's a short pregnancy, still, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The, the grief is still very real because it's not just something that you've been mourning for a short period of time. It's, 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 so connected to your level of investment in, 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 in all the emotional energy that you've put into, um, you know, wanting to have a family and trying to create that. And, and so, um, yeah, so I think it's important to remember that it doesn't matter how long you were pregnant, that, you know, the grief is still, is still valid. And, and we're learning how to, to talk more about that and honor that so that people can, normalize, you know, those feelings when they come up. And so they don't necessarily continue to, you know, kind of stay in our bodies and, you know, and, and kind of prolong our grieving process or make it a little bit more complicated than, than it already is. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Yeah, and the beginning of the next pregnancy, if, if there's next pregnancy, that... I, people get so excited and everything and you're also sort of like, well, don't jinx it. I don't want to. And I, I remember feeling like that too. Like, okay, let's not, Mm -hmm. I want you to know about it, but let's Mm -hmm. just take it slow and not, not jinx it. And what are some other ways that people grieve after these losses that you might not even realize going Mm -hmm. through the day? I know grief can show itself in so many different ways and we don't really realize it's going on or we don't, you know, we ignore it or don't stop to think about it. After pregnancy loss, even weeks after or anything, what are some things that might be going on that are actually grief? That's a great question because I think grief can look a lot like normalcy. So you're getting up and going to work, you're tending to, you know, your other children or child at home. Um, you're still, you know, maybe trying to get together with friends um, and you're, you're trying to keep the same routine that you had before. And it might require a lot more energy, but there, you know, on the outside, it might look like it's more normal, um, like a normal routine for, for you. But also what you know, grief isn't just about sadness, it can also look like irritability and anger. Um, so you might find yourself just, you know, getting annoyed at the, you know, the smallest things like wanting to kick the dog because, you know, the dog just is being, you know, a little annoying or, or what have you, or somebody takes your parking space and you just have this, um, you know, just this obscene reaction that, you know, that doesn't really match um, the, the trigger. And and so that's something else that I tend to see too with people who, who are grieving. They're just, they're just this, you know, very pervasive and kind of like this irritation. Um, there's this kind of a sense of numbness too that some people might, you know, experience where they just feel like, well, I'm not really feeling much of anything, and you know, I'm just going about my day, and you know, just I'm, I'm here, but you know, just not really feeling alive and and, and full of, of of life as you could imagine. Um, and that kind of goes along with just feeling kind of checked out too. So, um, you know, you just might be phoning in it at work and just trying to do things to kind of get through the day. But, um, but yeah, you're just not your normal, you know, kind of self. So, so I think grief can look a whole lot, you know, just, you know, various ways. It's in, you know, there, there might still be some normalcy there, but, you know, there's just a, there's a, a kind of a, a fatigue and a, a low energy that goes along with that, that you just know is different. It's qualitatively different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important to reiterate the fact that there is no time limit on all of that. Mm-hmm. 
that mm-hmm. it can go on yeah. for a long time. And if someone needs to talk about it, they need to talk about it. It doesn't matter how long after it is. And I, I do think yeah. that a lot of times we feel like, okay, that's in the past. We're not bringing that up again, but it sits with us and it was part of us. Right. Yes. And one of the things that I went, you know, when, when I think about grief and I use this kind of metaphor with my clients sometimes, and like when you, when you're first going through grief, it's like this, this, this big book, you know, I use this bookshelf kind of metaphor and, and it's the biggest book on an empty bookshelf. And so it's all you see. And as you move through, you know, your grieving process, what you start to notice is the book gets smaller and other books kind of fill up, you know, that might be other things that are part of your life, your hobbies, things that bring you joy, things you love and your family job, what have you. Um, But when you get to a certain point where you realize you've turned a corner, it's like the book is no longer the only book on the shelf or the one that's most prevalent. It's, you know, it's not taking up the most space. And, and so it's, it's definitely not linear and it, it, it shifts over time. And, and, and that's how we kind of know that it becomes a little bit more, more manageable at some mm-hmm. point. And how do you deal with the anxiety heading into the next pregnancy and trying again and going mm-hmm. through all that again? You know, I, I, I think the way that you deal with it, number one, is to make peace with the fact that it's there. Um, I, I think trying to pretend that it doesn't exist, or that it, sh- no, more importantly, that it shouldn't exist, um, is is just a big setup. Um, so I talk with my clients about managing. Um, we know that anxiety is going to be there. That's actually normal. So how can we keep you in like the moderate range? So if we were thinking about this on a scale of like zero to ten, where ten is like the most intense anxiety that's got you through the roof, and you're having a panic attack or, or what have you, like, and zero is like nothing. Um, like, how can we keep you at a five or what keeps you at a five? So it's like, and I feel like that perspective is helpful because it's like, okay, yes, a little bit of anxiety or some anxiety is normal. I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, abnormal because I'm, I'm kind of worried about this. No, you, you, you should be, I would expect you to be. And, and so from there, and I think having that understanding, it's like, okay, what tools can help you, um, cope with that as, as much as possible. Some people find comfort. I mean, depending on at what stage you're in your pregnancy, the the pregnancy symptoms can actually be some comfort in that moment. Ironically, um, when morning sickness or the fatigue or what have you, it's like, okay, that's actually a reminder that I'm pregnant. So those touchstones become, um, you know, points of reassurance. Um, sometimes distraction can be helpful. Um, finding mantras that are helpful to, to manage. Um, and I, I, find, you know, helping people stay focused on where they are in the here and now, like I am pregnant right now is, um, is, a, is a helpful, um, you know, I think kind of strategy. And then also on the side medically, I really encourage my clients to ask for more monitoring from their doctors, especially early on, because sometimes going to the doctor to see the baby on the scan can be very reassuring when you hear the heartbeat. And, um, and so I have a couple of clients right now, actually, who are going every couple of weeks just because it helps with their anxiety, helps manage anxiety. Um, and, and so I, I think they're just multiple tools that depend on what, you know, what the person needs. But I think at first and foremost, just make peace with the anxiety. It's normal that it's there. Um, you know, it's just really important to figure out, okay, what helps you manage as much as, much as possible. I love that you brought up about the doctors um, and going back to the doctors, because for me, one of my biggest things in my experience with all of my pregnancies, but especially my first pregnancy, mm-hmm. was that what I didn't realize was that my doctor and the dynamic between the two of us was contributing a lot to my anxiety. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I could just switch doctors and that it would right. be okay. And so yes. I didn't. And I stayed and it tortured me. And I w- it was terrible. Um, and and they, I would ask to go much more frequently for ultrasounds and they would laugh at me because there wasn't really anything wrong. Well, they wouldn't laugh. Mm -hmm. They'd get annoyed. Mm -hmm. And so it is important that your, that your doctor isn't saying to you, you're fine. You don't need to come and that there are doctors out there who will do what you need. You just need to do the research and find that doctor. And I later, much, much later realized that. But I think it's so important to tell people that you do not have to stay with your doctor. I don't care if your doctor is your best friend. If it's not working, you need to leave. 
Exactly, exactly. And yes, because not all doctors are created the same. And there are doctors some that are very sensitive and attuned doctors that are willing to say, what do you need? You need an ultrasound? Okay, let's do it. Um, and, and, and it's more this, this collaborative kind of sense around care. No, it might not be quote unquote medically necessary and, you know, and it's not going to hurt the baby, but if it helps the mama feel much more at ease and create a, an environment for, for the little one, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and, you know, and so it's like, it, it just might take a couple of calls, you know, talking to some friends and, you know, about, you know, what referrals they might have and maybe interviewing prospective doctors around that and how they would, you know, kind of attend to, to your, your, not just your, you know, what's going on for you medically, but attend to your, to your emotional experience. And, and so there are some very compassionate doctors who are willing to do that. And so, yeah, it's just, it involves like really advocating and knowing that we can. And once we realize, oh my gosh, yes, I can, you know, just make a switch and make a choice. And um, it's very empowering actually. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you asked for that. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping that this might inspire other people to do that too, if they need to. Yeah. I also made it very clear to everybody in my life with my pregnancies after a certain point that when they would say, oh, don't you feel, don't you love it? And I would be like, no, I'm totally anxious all the time. I do not yeah. enjoy being pregnant. I did not enjoy being pregnant. I appreciated mm -hmm. the miracle of it and I appreciated, you know, I wanted to be a mom and I'm forever grateful and everything. But mm -hmm. I did, I, people would say to me, oh, oh my God, isn't it the best? And I'd be like, no, it's the fucking worst. <laughs> I and I think it. it's exactly. okay to say that. Like people need to yes. know that they can say that, that it's okay. Yes. You don't have to pretend that if you're anxious and you've lost a baby and you're worried again, you could say to people, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. Exactly. Lead with the feeling, lead with the feeling. I include, I encourage my clients to do that. And, you know, when you, especially when we were talking about like, you know, just reminds me like how to ask other people to care, you know, to, to that, what can other people do or say? And, and sometimes you just have to kind of teach people, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. Like I, I can't talk about pregnancy stuff right now. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, I'm anxious. This is how it's coming out for me. And, you know, I just need you to hear that. Um, and, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, you can very much want to be a mom, you know, and be a parent and not enjoy the pregnancy um, right. because it's hard on you physically. It's hard on you emotionally. Um, you know, it, it's, it's perfectly okay. And I wish more women were talking about that too, because I feel like there's so many women in my, in my practice who are, you know, just racked with guilt around the fact that they're not enjoying their pregnancies and somehow they're going to be a bad mom because they didn't enjoy their pregnancy. And I'm like, no, you're human who's gone through some trauma, let's face it. And this is what happens. And this is how you heal from trauma. You allow yourself to be. And then once they, you know, once they give themselves space to, to not judge and put those kind of societal expectations about how we should be feeling about things, it's like, okay, they're able to heal and, and embrace, you know, parenthood on the other side and, and, you know, then deal with another set of anxieties that come once the, the kid is here. So oh can you imagine um, if if I had had her to go to, had her. When I, was I want dealing... her to move in now. Right, <laughs> I'm not getting pregnant again. So. But no, seriously. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there were maybe people like you existed at, when I was, and I didn't know about it. I for sure didn't know about it because I would have had twelve. <laughs> but but no. it is it it is wonderful that you're doing this. Oh my god. I mean, mm -hmm. I would have... like. Did this even exist? I. That's what I don't know. It did. It did. So I, feel it, I, I don't think it did exist in the way I, I think it's evolving and I've seen it evolve as I've gone through you what, know, is kind it of coaching? Some of my it's like infertility and pregnancy loss coaching. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, it's part, it's part coaching, but it's also how I think um, reproductive mental health is, is changing. We're now calling it reproductive mental health. Um, and an element of what I do is also coaching just because, you know, um, I, I think sometimes we need a little bit more of a pep talk. And then sometimes we need to do some of the deeper level kind of traumatic stuff that happens in therapy and, and, you know, and, 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 and so those are two kind of different entities that I know can be very confusing for people they both can be helpful and therapeutic but you know sometimes that's where you know a professional kind of helps people decide okay well what what what's what but um but I think that what the infertility community is really helping the larger mental health community do is continue to talk about and normalize you know what goes into 
reproductive health and, 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 you know, our fertility, our fertility health and knowing our bodies. And it makes me so happy. I mean, yeah, really. it's really, yeah. And I, I didn't, you know, so when I think about how this has evolved um, and when you think about how new, like even IVF is, I think it's only about like 40, 40, 50 years old or something like that. And, and the mental health component is really probably about maybe 10 years old. Um, mm-hmm. So, and we're just now kind of talking about infertility trauma, which, you know, seven years ago, we weren't talking about it. So, um, you know, so there are lots of, I think, good things that are happening that's coming out of the medical research that's helping us, you know, and, and, and we're listening to what these experiences have been like for, for women who've experienced loss and also for couples too, because they've taught us a lot about how we need to help and support couples differently and, and normalizing so much of the process too, I feel like is just very freeing um, mm-hmm. for, for people. So yeah. most of your clients that come to see you is because they've suffered a loss or they're, see, okay. Yeah, I, I tend I tend to, I tend to, um, at this point, I've, I'm working a lot with people who've done, or excuse me, who've experienced um, specific trauma around, who have just trauma around fertility um, and, you know, loss can be very traumatic for people. And, and so um, I, people who've had repeated miscarriages and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do kind of specialize right now in, in fertility trauma. If this doesn't yeah. exist yet, mm-hmm. you need to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to branch out your business and make you. Oh okay. boy. <laughs> millions and millions of new clients and dollars and everything. Oh boy. Ready? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Maybe it exists. I don't even know if it does. Obviously, you know, I don't know this, but you know how people go to, um, maybe like a marriage therapist before they get married so that they learn things that we never learned when we got married before you get married and a whole session, you know, before you get married. So you understand and learn and can know what to expect to a degree. People need to come to you before they're thinking about having a child to know what the possibilities are and how to handle them no. if they happen. Really? Yes. Don't you think that people should be prepared just in case and that it's okay so. and that it's a normal thing? 25% yeah. of pregnancies and in miscarriage and here's how to handle it. I know it's not right for everybody specifically. It's like, I just think it should right. be a thing. Yeah, listen, I'm all for more therapy and coaching right? and uh, no, totally in any capacity. <laughs> I bring it on. I, mean, I want a royalty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You know, but I think what you're, you know, I think that would be really neat because I actually love it when people come you know, for premarital therapy before they get engaged, actually, yeah. because we do talk about kids and how they want to handle things. But, you know, one of the things that I started to do um, is talk about, you know, yeah, if, if there are issues that do come up, you know, how would you want to handle that? Because right. again, you know, we never think about, you know, when you're coupling and you're young, you know, you don't really hear about people having fertility issues. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and it's also one of the things that I'm taking part in um, and a couple of other organizations that I belong to is, um, is really trying to help educate people about their reproductive health and kind of understanding, um, you know, what your hormone levels are and, and not necessarily waiting six months to a year, which are some timelines that doctors give patients, you know, in terms of whether or not they should keep, keep trying on their own versus transitioning to a, a medical doctor. Um, and, and so you're talking about people being really empowered and having information. And yeah. so that's why this is the beauty of your platform and, you know, and, and mine and countless others that are really trying to disseminate that information and hopefully changing things for those of us coming, coming along behind us. Right. Yeah. I kind of take it back. It kind of is a good idea. No, it is because (laughs) I feel like we were like, okay, let's start trying for a baby. And like Mm -hmm. I went off my meds, which was the first mistake. And then all of a sudden we were just like Mm -hmm. trying for a baby. Right. And we we talked about nothing. No research, no discussion. No, No. it's like, we're going to have a baby. Let's just go and try to have a baby. And then if, when Mm -hmm. you had your miscarriage, we could have said, well, Dr. Lori said, this is what we should be talking about because you had an issue. And like, remember what she said about this and remember telling you, uh, listen, give me all the therapy. (laughs) I I fully (laughs) embrace it. Trust me. Um, tell everybody where they can find you. Yes. So I'm normally on Instagram at Dr. Lori Johnson, and that's D-R-L-O-R-E-E Johnson. Um, or you can uh, find me on my website, drlorijohnson.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Really, thank really you appreciate for having it. Me. I mean, 
it was a great talk and I'm so glad that you're out there doing what you're doing and that we're opening up the conversation and um, thank you so much. It was so great meeting you. That's my pleasure. My pleasure. So nice meeting you both. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com